This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for Friday, April 19th. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Up next, a conversation with Representative Debbie Dingell on the life, legacy, and political career of her late husband, former Congressman John Dingell. First elected in 1955, the Michigan Democrat was the longest-serving member of Congress, retiring in 2015. He was a House page when President Franklin D. Roosevelt declared America's entry into World War II back in December of 1941. The Army veteran went on to work with every president from Dwight Eisenhower to Barack Obama. But we begin our conversation with the headlines from this week, the release of the Robert Mueller Report. Representative Debbie Dingell from Michigan's 12th Congressional District, we want to spend most of this time to talk about your husband. But first, let's talk about the Mueller Report. You've had a day to at least review parts of it. What's your overall reaction? What happens next? Well, I read it last night. Uh, Didn't sleep a lot uh, for two reasons. One, it's a long report, and I'm going to obviously spend more time reading it in uh, trying to really make sure that my brain is taking in the detail. Uh, You know, I am disturbed by some of the things that I read in it. Uh, I think that the president was not vindicated and that Mueller went out of his way to say that he had not vindicated him. I think what I'm deeply disturbed about is the fact that Russia did try to interfere in our elections and that we need to worry that they're not going to be successful in 2020. Uh, I'm worried about some of the patterns of line that we saw, but I also think that it's very important that the House Intelligence Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, and you'll see the same thing happen on the Senate side, uh, continue this investigation. I think Mueller needs to testify on the Hill, and I'd like to just hear some plain, blunt, what does he think? But I also think we've got to keep doing other things that for the people that they want us to do, like lowering prescription drug prices and fixing our roads and working on trade deals. So I think it's disturbing. I'm deeply disturbed by the stories that I read, but I also think th- that we got to do both things. We've got to not that's all anybody's talking about is the Mueller report. And it matters. But a lot of other things matter, too. So for those in your party beating the drums, saying it's time to impeach President Donald Trump, what do you tell them? Well, uh, right now, I, I think these next few weeks are going to be critical. I want to see the attorney general testify. I which he will. See, which he will. Uh, and I don't think he did himself or this country any favors. I think he... Uh, is acting like a defense attorney for the White House rather than the chief law enforcement officer. Why do you say that? Uh, Because I don't think that his four pages were assist. I I have now read the report enough. I need to go back. Those four pages did not summarize that that Mueller report, to be perfectly frank. Uh, But I do want to hear him testify. I want to hear Mueller testify. I think those hearings need to go forward, and we need to keep our eye on the ball. And I think this report needs to be a roadmap for people making decisions about the 2020 election. But I also tell them that I'm worried about the cost of the inhaler right now, which is the next EpiPen insulin, and it's almost $700 an inhaler. And for a working mother that's got two jobs and is living at the poverty line, and a child that needs that for their asthma, they need us to do something about that too. 
So to that point, we have been consumed here in Washington over the last two years with the Mueller report. But when you go back home to Michigan, what do constituents talk to you about? Well, I have a complicated district. So it's one of the reasons I warned many of many of those in Washington that Donald Trump could become president because he was talking about issues that people wanted to hear people talk about. Uh, I don't know that he's delivered on everything. I don't know that he's delivered anything that he said that he was going to, but he talked about those issues. But if you're in Ann Arbor, I have a very complicated district. It's a little mini America. Ann Arbor, I have people that are worried about health care, but I have people that want to see him impeached, and they feel very strongly. Uh, and they're talking about health care, and they're talking about the New Green Deal. I have the largest population of Muslims in the country, and they've been concerned since... President Trump became president and probably even more intense now with the recent shootings and other issues that are being discussed. And then I have the down rivers, which are working men and women that work in those auto plants that think nobody cares about them, who worked a lifetime thinking their pensions would be safe and they don't know how they're going to live and have a safe and secure retirement. That mother that I just told you about who doesn't know how she's going to, whose child could, got very bad asthma. And she doesn't know how she can make sure she's always got an inhaler when she needs. I go to that Flat Rock Mustang plant, and they're talking about trade deals. And they're not sure Democrats care about trade, which we do. I want to promise you, we do. I'm one of, I'm out there working with Rosa Delora every day about making sure we're playing on a level playing field. And I've been horrific at General Motors uh, about their Blazer plant that they announced last year in Mexico and all the other things that have happened. But it's a complicated time. Let me ask you about your husband, because he lived through two impeachments, or at least a likely impeachment of Richard Nixon and the impeachment of William Jefferson Clinton. What are the lessons from those two periods in American history? Well, I think that, uh, you know, Jerry Ford was a very good friend of his. And I was working for Bob Griffin, didn't have any clue who John Dingell was or and never thought I'd even talk to a Democrat probably in those days. But Who was Bob Griffin? Uh, Bob Griffin was a senior senator from Michigan at the time and a Republican. He was the Republican whip. Thank you for reminding me of that. And they both were in very difficult uh, positions. I remember working for Senator Griffin at the time and I actually had flown back with him from Michigan when he, this is the senior whip or the, the whip of the United States Senate telling Richard Nixon that he had to resign because of the things that he had done and that they were undermining some of the fundamental principles of our Constitution. But that was done in a bipartisan way. And I think that one of the things I'm worried about, John Diggle was worried about before he died, wrote about in his book, is that this nation is on a precipice and that we have to do things that people, well, we don't, in impeachment, that doesn't include Republicans and Democrats tears this country apart in a way uh, that we should not be tearing this nation apart and that we've all got to come together, but that we do need to protect the fundamental pillars of our Constitution. Two months ago, in February of this year, Congressman Steny Hoyer, who's been a longtime friend of both you and your husband, announcing the death of John Dingell and asking for the House to pay tribute to the longest serving member of the House of Representatives. Mr. Speaker, I would ask all the members of Congress to, and all the ladies and gentlemen in the gallery to join us in a moment of silence in remembrance 
of our friend John Dingell. All present will rise and observe a moment of silence in honor of our beloved John Dingell. That was from February of this year, and at his funeral back in Michigan, this from former House Speaker Republican John Boehner of Ohio. John Dingell was present for more of those moments than any other American ever to serve. Through his honor will, his commitment to the dignity of his fellow man, and his skill as a legislator, uh, he was also the driving force behind many of those movements. He was a great legislator, not just because he was a shrewd negotiator or a master tactician or a hard-driving son of a gun. He was all of those things. Uh, but John Dingell was a great legislator, and above all else because he was a great American. That from former House Speaker John Boehner and Representative Debbie Dingell. What was your husband really like? And why did he stay in Congress so long? He loved his country. He respected the institution. He loved the people of his district. He, he served at a time that public service was respected and he felt it was a calling. Uh, he had things that he wanted to do. If you were to ask him, one of the proudest, one of the most difficult moments, but the moments he was proudest about, was the civil rights vote of the early 60s. You know, I was a, a child, to be perfectly frank. Uh, the first, I didn't know this. There were things, there was before Debbie and after Debbie. But someone who was writing a book said to me, do you know that your husband's first speech on the floor in 1955 was about civil rights. And he was one of the first legislators to actually introduce civil rights legislation in the United States Congress. His father was one of the authors of Social Security. Uh, his father was the first member to introduce universal health care. He believed that every American had a right to quality, affordable health care. And that was his passion all of his life. His father almost died and didn't have access to health care at one point, and the union printers helped get him healthy enough that he would live for several decades, though he didn't have the long life expectancy that you see in many people now. I think he loved this country, and he believed public service was an important thing, and he cherished and knew the importance of protecting our democracy. There are a number of remarkable aspects of your husband's life, including the fact that he was a House page when Franklin D. Roosevelt, as President of the United States, those famous words, a day that will live in infamy, he was on the House floor. He heard the words of FDR. Did he ever talk about that? Well, not only did he talk about it, what we all don't realize, it, uh, John Boehner found this out. John Boehner shared this years ago now, but it, um, that it was, we have a recording of what was said on the floor and what happened that day on the floor because of John Dingle. He was a page who had been signed to the Walter Cronkite of those days. Nobody would even recognize the name now. And he was told to not, to turn off the recording and not let him record. And John Dingle understood at that young age history and the importance of capturing history. And he would frequently say to me, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. He thought FDR was a great man, a, a real man, uh, a, a human man, but uh, he 
felt FDR really cared about the people and looked out for everybody. And I think FDR was one of his heroes. And he was part of a generation tempered by World War II. He served in the last year in the Army. Back in 1995, he was asked about what it was like to have served in the war and then in the House of Representatives. The veterans who were discharged, and there were a lot of them uh, who got out about the same time I did. I was rather late in and rather late getting out because I turned 18 in 1944. Uh, but the veterans were a very serious lot, and we were all in a great hurry. Uh, most of us who were, who were looking at the draft or looking at, at going into service actually hurried our lives a great deal, either to get into service or to complete as much schooling as we could before we went. Congressman John Dingell from a 1995 interview, and Representative Dingell, did that change the politics of that generation? You mentioned Gerald Ford, a Republican, John Dingell, a Democrat, and yet they were forged by a single enemy, Nazi Germany. That is correct, and they loved this country. And when you, those days, your dissension stopped at the shores of this country. You did not show a divided America any place beyond our shores. Uh, and, you know, those were the days your word was good. Jerry Ford, it's funny, Susan Ford, who's a good friend of mine, Jerry Ford's youngest daughter, John would tell us stories that neither of us had ever heard. Jerry Ford actually served with John's father and then was very good friends with John Dingell. Uh, and John's, for those who don't know, uh, John divorced his first wife. I was nowhere in the picture for another decade uh, because his wife had been a paranoid schizophrenic. And uh, John and um, Jerry were good friends, but Betty and Jerry took care of him when that happened and were very protective and it was just a different age when people got to know each other when people knew each other's kids when you cared about what happened in each other's families and when what you did what you did for America you did what was right it wasn't done for partisan reasons how did the two of you meet on an airplane between Washington and Detroit it was a bumpy flight and I used to be, I probably still do get nervous, but in those days was a very uncomfortable flyer. You know, and he talked to me just to keep me calm because it happened to be a thunderstorm night. But he, you know, so we saw each other and then I, but it was several years before we, I actually accepted a date. What's the best way to describe John Dingle as a person, not as a legislator, but as a person? You know, I called him a giant teddy bear, and nobody could believe that I used those words. Uh, I mean, look, he was an, loved the outdoors. This man was a conservationist, and he was a park ranger before he went to law school and before he went to the Congress and actually had applied to be a full-time park ranger. And I think if that job had come through before I got elected to Congress, he never would have been in the Congress. And a lifelong NRA member. A lifelong. He was on the board of the NRA. I'll be very blunt about that. And he loved to hunt and fish. And, you know, everybody knew the high holy days were in October when he headed out west to hunt. Uh, he, the, the outdoors, he founded the Wildlife Refuge, the first international wildlife refuge in this country because he knew the importance of protecting our natural resources. But he was a divorced father who fought for custody of his children. Uh, he took being a father and 
my husband very seriously. Uh, he worked hard. He worked very hard. But he really cared about people. And he worked hard at having this very brusque, tough, you know, they used to call him all kind of, kinds of nicknames. But underneath that toughness was a man who really cared about people. And if someone was having a hard time, would quietly try to help them. He, uh, he, he, he was a very complicated person. The major issues that he focused on, including civil rights, health care, and the environment, were those the top three for him? I think those probably were the top three, although if you were to talk to Warren Buffett, well, before, you have to remember that these were uh, somewhere around the 90s, like when New Gingrich came in, in the 90s. Before then, the stock market and a lot of the financial issues were in the Energy and Commerce Committee. So if you were to talk to Warren, Warren Buffett will tell you to this day, as well Alan Greenspan, is some of the things that John did save the economy. He paid close attention. He One of the jokes in our family is he single-handedly kept the repeal of um, uh, Glass-Steagall from happening for decades. And he stood on the floor of the House against President Clinton. And is the man, it is John Dingell who said, mark my words, you will create a bank too big to fail. And the banks did fail uh, a decade later. So there were really issues that he would stop railroad strikes. He used to have transportation and railroads were in that committee. He worked on many, many issues. And if you talk to people, and actually, it's really hard for me. It's only been a couple months it's that he's been gone and he was the love of my life. There are incredible stories that people tell you of how many things he touched in a different way and made a difference. And another remarkable fact about his life he worked with 12 U.S. presidents. No other member of Congress has worked with so many on such a diversity of issues. And he was very clear he worked with them, not for him, that the Congress was an equal branch of government to the executive branch. Who did he enjoy working with the most? What did he talk to you about? Well, he, tr he didn't really work with FDR or Truman. His father was close friends with Truman, and he, I think, really... Um, respect to Truman as being a someone who was tough, didn't want anybody to give him a handout of any kind, uh, was somebody who understood the office of the presidency, and he actually felt Truman saved his life by, because he had been scheduled to go into Japan before the dropping of the bomb. Uh, so many World War II veterans have said that. Yep. It's, you know, when he's very proud to be a World War II veteran and fought very hard. You know, their issue that he fought very hard for was the veterans, always standing up for them and making sure they were protected and that we needed to always remember their service to this country. Uh, Jerry Ford and he were obviously very close friends. He had known him for a very long time. Uh, Bill, he was not a fan of Richard Nixon's, though he would tell you that Richard Nixon passed some of the most important, some of the most important legislation, including the establishment of the EPA and Health and Human Services, actually, I think, happened under the Nixon administration. So while there were things that he didn't like about him, he would say that Lyndon Johnson was a very tough president and had great stories to tell of being called on the carpet. Uh, um, I'm going through this in my head, not necessarily the um, order, straight order. He and Jimmy Carter, I think, had great fights. Uh, I, 
I think he deeply respected him as a former president. I think they had great fights over energy and a number of other things, and he tried to help him. Uh, he and Bill Clinton were very close. You know, they even went hunting together. Uh, he was almost like a father to Bill Clinton, giving him, not afraid to give anybody advice. Uh, but he, George Bush was a very good, George Bush won. The first was one of his closest friends. He used to play paddle ball uh, together in the early 60s. That was a time when people got to know each other. Because, again, they were in Congress together. They were in Congress together in the early 60s. They didn't agree on things, many things, but they respected each other. And they knew that if your word was your word, and if you talked about trying to find that common ground, that you could. Uh, young George Bush was actually one of the last people he spoke to. Um, he, he, there were things that deeply bothered him about actions that were taken, but he respected them. As you can tell, he respected all the presidents. He was close to President Obama. A uh, very different relationship than the one that he had with Bill Clinton, but they worked together and they got things done. Uh, he did work with all of them, and they all knew that he was a force to be reckoned with, and if he was against you, you had a problem. And if he was with you, you were going to have an easier job of getting done what you wanted to get done. Was he a bit of a bulldog? Uh, yes. I think he was more <laughs> of a bulldog in his earlier days before I met him, but there's no question he could still. He was fierce and ferocious, and you did not want him on the other side of you. Let me remind our audience that we are talking with Representative Debbie Dingell from Michigan's 12th Congressional District as we reflect on the life and career of her late husband, Congressman John Dingell. And in the final months of his term in the House of Representatives from November of 2014, this citation, a Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama paying tribute to John Dingell. John D. Dingell Jr.'s tenure surpasses that of any member of Congress in American history. A child of the House, he became its dean and his legacy is evident all around us in cleaner air, safer water, stronger protections for workers, and greater respects for the civil rights of all Americans. He summoned his grit and determination for legislative battles over health care, from Medicare to the Affordable Care Act. Thanks to his efforts, millions more families across our nation now have the peace of mind that comes with access to quality, affordable care. A grateful nation honors John D. Dingell, Jr. for his lifetime of service from World War II to nearly six decades in Congress. And, of course, you were in the East Room for that tribute, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Did your husband, in the sunset of his life, take full stock of all that he had accomplished? He would ask people who would come to see him, did he do enough? Was he good to his people? Did he do right by his people? I don't, I think John Dingell would have been stunned if he had to see the number of people who came to say goodbye that had the stories to tell. He took his job very, very seriously. He worked very, you know, there, we haven't talked about clean water yet. When I was cleaning out some of the papers when he was moving out of his office, I found old scrapbooks. John Dingell and Ed Muskie single-handedly brought about the Clean Water Act in the 60s. Now, in this day and age, can you imagine any of us complaining that someone wanted to clean up the water? He was demonized. He was pulp pulpitized. 
by, I was reading columns of, oh, this is going to cost too much money. Why do you want to do this? We don't. You know, the environmentalist community could not believe that people would say the kinds of things that they said in the 60s, simply wanting to clean up the water. So he was responsible. I mean, he was the author of the Clean Water Act. He was also the author of the Endangered Species uh, Act when we were starting to see uh, different species different disappear. And he'd go, Deborah, did it matter? Did it make a difference? I, I think he was somebody that always wanted to make sure he was doing the right thing and helping somebody else. And he found a new calling at the end of his life on Twitter. <laughs> How many <laughs> followers? Like 250,000? I think it was more than that. Uh, but he was very, you know, his per as you know, Steve, because you're not old, but you've been here for a little while, uh, when his staff used to collect dingalisms. I mean, he was known for his... So dingalisms? He, dingalisms. Which are what? They would be, you know, as useful as a side pocket on a cow or all these different things that he would quip. So his quips were made for Twitter. He's always had a... a he says what he thinks. He's very colorful. You know, he's useful as a fork catching a raindrop. Or, a, I mean, there are things like, how does he even think about these things? But he, they're, they're, I've got cards and of things that he used to say to his staff. So he, Twitter, he loved Twitter. He wanted to stay relevant. You know, he, he stayed engaged. He knew what was going on. He would get so frustrated, and he would just swear. And Twitter was a way for him to stay involved, to comment on what was going on. He would wake up in the morning, and he'd go, woman, and he'd take, so we'd get the tablet, and he'd start, well, he'd want his iPad, and I'm like, okay, slow down. Let's talk about what you're going to say, and I'd write down some of the things, or he would write down what he was going to say. In the end, uh, the last couple of weeks, I was writing it down, um, and I think that's what I remember as well, but he... And he would say to people who come in, was it okay today? What do you think of this? There were some Twitters I would not let him do, by the way. So he, was, <laughs> he, he could be quite colorful. We did sit down with him and talk about C-SPAN and television cameras in the House of Representatives. Here's what he said. I was not enthused. I thought it would bring out some of the worst of the uh, instincts of politicians. <laughs> and that, it, that the practical result would be slower, more tedious, and perhaps more demagogic proceedings in the House of Representatives. I think I was right. knew that was coming. <laughs> I knew it. You know, when you look, this is one of the things I was going to think about. I actually, we need to be transparent, and people need to see what's happening on the floor of the House. And I, you know, he was there when Brian started C-SPAN. So, uh, you know, and I met Brian earlier than later. And it's great that we did do it, but we don't have serious conversations among each other. I think that's the biggest thing that's missing in this day and age in the public policy arena is that you go into a room and you talk to each other and you listen to different perspectives and you try to find that common ground. There used to be real debates on the House floor and people would talk to each other, and they'd listen, and minds would actually be changed. And now people are playing to the camera, you know, how many people can you get to do one minute and five minutes? And I'm not saying that those aren't good things, and they're important to talk to people about what's going on, but I wish people talked more to each other, listened more to each other. 
one of his favorite sayings, and now has become my favorite saying, is God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, and I wish we'd listen to each other more. Let me conclude with two final points, because one other aspect of your husband's life, Democrat or Republican, he always gave new members advice. What do you remember advice that he had given you when you were first elected? Well, he didn't really give me advice when I got elected because he was so afraid of saying something to me that um, uh, would make me cut his head off or something, which was not, you know, I was just lucky to have him there loving me and supporting me. But a lot of other members have come up to me, and the first thing he would say, he would make all the young members sit by him. They all tell me these stories. And he would remind them, Ben Ray, Ray Lujan told me this, that he sat to him and he said, you remember, you've got the same vote that I do and that everybody else in this institution has. And you are as important as I am. And Ben Ray said, and that lasted as long as you were sitting next to him and the further back you walked away from him, um, the less that that became. But he did, he would tell people to listen, to, to get to know each other, to get to know the chairman on your committee. If you cared about an issue, to become good and know your issue. Don't just do talking points, know what you're talking about. Uh, to remember that you're accountable to the people back home that you need to know what's on their mind, that you need to li listen to them. Don't lose touch with who they are. Don't become f full of who you are here. Remember where you come from and never forget who it is that you're there to represent and that you've got a responsibility to those people to work for them, to protect them, and to deliver for them. And so finally, for you as the wife of John Dingle, and for those who worked with John Dingle or those who he represented, what's his legacy? I think he has so many different legacies to stand up for what's right, to not be afraid to say what needs to be said. To he believes strongly in protecting people's rights protecting the air people breathe, protecting the water that they drink, preserving and protecting our natural resources, and to know how important our democracy is, that we live in the greatest land and country in the world, and that it's not something we can ever take for granted. Living in a democracy takes a lot of hard work, and that we must always, always fight to protect those fundamental freedoms of freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and that if we don't engage, if we don't stay involved, our democracy may not survive. And you know him better than anyone else. The tributes, the funeral services, we covered all of it. What do you think he would have thought? He would have said it was much ado about nothing, or he would have been embarrassed. I haven't. I'm still a little raw, so I know you can watch it. And I started to watch one of the funerals and just started sobbing and, quite frankly, couldn't watch it. I think, though, he really, 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 really would have been surprised that he was as left as he was. He was always a humble man, and he never realized how much he was loved.
Representative Debbie Dingell, thank you very much for stopping by our C-SPAN studios here in Washington. Thank you for inviting me. And a reminder, this podcast is available on the free C-SPAN radio app, online anytime at cspan.org. We thank you for listening. <laughs>